Thank you for choosing to listen to the sermons of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. We meet at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. And if you're ever in our area, we would love to have you as our guests. If you live in our area, we would love to study the Bible with you. You can call us anytime to study a Bible study or just to gain more information at 205-486-9247. Also visit our website, 9thAvenueCofC.com or check us out on Facebook by simply searching for 9th Avenue Church of Christ. Now we hope you'll join us for a study of God's Word as we seek to follow Him each and every day from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. Tonight, as we enter into this study of cultural issues that are hot-button topics, but our goal is not to decide where we stand, it's to understand where God would have us stand. We engage in a study on a subject that's simply entitled, Learn to Discern Sexual Identity. It is a subject that I guarantee you this, when I was a child growing up, this was not something that we had to talk about. When you were a child growing up, chances are this was not a subject that you had a preacher come in and preach about. But you see, we're not in the time period when you were a child anymore. And we're not even in the time period when I was a child anymore. We've got to understand our culture today. And we've got to understand how Christians are to live and to operate today as we strive to spread the light that we have been called to shine and the love of Jesus which we have been shown. Let's go to our Father in prayer before we get into this very serious subject. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we approach your throne tonight, we do so praying that our hearts are right tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, sometimes we approach your word and we We approach it from an agenda-based concept. And Lord, we pray that we not do that. We pray that we never, we never set out to be right ourselves, but we set out to show what your will is to others. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the blood of your Son. We're grateful that your patience is ever-present and that you are long-suffering. And Lord, it is our prayer that we would become more like you every day of our lives. Lord, I pray tonight that I stay out of your way, and I pray that we're able to see your conclusion on this very important subject. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we get into the subject tonight, I need to say this to start off, and I need you to hear me, because I don't know every situation that's going on in your families. I don't know about your children, I don't know about your grandchildren, I don't know about cousins, I don't know about brothers and sisters and all the history. And so I want you to hear me say this tonight. This subject of which we're going to study is not a subject of hate. I need you to hear me say that. It is a subject of understanding that sometimes in our society, people really are searching for for fixes in their life. They really are searching for answers to some of the life's greatest questions, the very ones that you and I ask. Where did we come from? Why am I here? What is my purpose? You see, for you and I, here tonight on a Wednesday night in a church building, there's obviously been someone who has shaped our lives, at least extended an opportunity for us to have a concept of who we are shaped through the lens of the Bible. 
You understand that not everybody has that influence. And those who may have at one time had the influence, but they veered away from it, oftentimes there is a reason. But I need you to hear me say this tonight in no way, shape, or form as I deliver this lesson. Is this a lesson of hate? Here's the truth. Jesus died on the cross for me when I was a sinner. Jesus died on the cross for you when you were yet still in sin. He loved you before you ever loved Him. And here's what the Scriptures tell me. Any sin that is repented of can be forgiven. That's where we start tonight. Now with that as the basis though, I want you to understand something. When we talk about sexual identity, and I tell you that in your society, maybe when you were growing up, this was not a subject of which you thought even needed to be addressed. But you see, when we turn on the television, when we look at websites, when we listen to the news, when we check out social media, it is very apparent that we do not live in the days of black and white television any longer. We live in the days of individuals like this individual, born a man who today goes by Jackie Ritchie, a 58-year-old construction worker. This individual back in the the 2000, early 2000s, 2010s, had decided that he was going to live as a woman. Yet it wasn't good enough for him to simply be allowed to live in that manner. He wanted to be recognized as a woman officially. And so what happened was he uh, went to file for a passport for the United States of America and checked the, the box for female. Well, you'll read the notes that are there on the, the screen below the picture. And you can come to find out that the September after she applied, she was granted a passport. I say she, he was granted a passport denoting female gender. And you would look at that and say, surely America is not to the point of giving official documents where one was born a biological male, but we are now allowing them to say that they are female. Well, it's not just in the sense of a passport. You see, we have states in in our country today that when it comes to the birth certificate, right? You know the birth certificate where the child's uh, biological sex is marked either male, female. Well, now in certain states, they allow for there to be a third option, a gender neutral option on that on that birth certificate. And it's not a, a concept that is, is spread everywhere, but it is a concept that is growing. And it's the idea of they-bees. I didn't say rabies, okay? They-bees. You see, there's a, a movement in our culture today to allow children to determine their own genders. So in other words, parents are saying, I don't want to assign a gender to a child at birth and I don't want to have the the male child being dressed in blue and the female child being dressed in pink and give the boy trucks and the girl dolls because those are all stereotypical concepts that are gender specific. And so therefore, we don't want to lock that uh, into place in the mind of our children We want them to be able to decide for themselves. You look at that and say, well, surely, Joe, that's that's uh, not widespread. But I will offer this to you. While it is not a mass portion of the population, it is a growing portion 
of the population. And even more than that, you need to hear me, it is a, a, a an idea that is becoming acceptable within our society. You see, this whole subject of which you see here with this actor, Billy Porter, he's uh, being shown at the Tony Awards just this month in a, uh, a, a suit gown. You see, this individual has worn tuxedo tops and ball gown bottoms uh, in other settings, but he does so because of a statement that was made in this particular interview with the New York Times when he said, I want to flip the question of what it means to be a man. He says, this question of masculinity, this sort of microscopic of heteronormative masculinity that we are very often held up to, especially as leading men, needs to be shattered. You know it's toxic and I'm over it and I've lived it and I'm not doing it anymore. You see, the subject of which we're talking about tonight, it goes beyond what clothes do people wear. And it goes beyond the, uh, many of the subjects that, that we as well-minded believers and disciples of Jesus that we stop at and we get caught up in. You see, what he is bringing forth is, is really a discussion that's been happening in America for some time about the idea of women and men and the concept of them being equals. You see, we live in a society today that's on, I think it is, the fourth wave of feminism. You go back in time with what feminism was at one point, and feminism, some of the elements of it, you would look at and say, well, they weren't all bad. I mean, after all, there was a time that a lady could not own land outside of her, her father or outside of her husband. She owned nothing. And then we see individuals who were not able to vote because of their specific biological sex. And some of those things we would look at and we would say, those were great advances in our civilization. But you see, we didn't stop there. If that's all it was, if that's all that the early phases of feminism would lead to, then you know what? We wouldn't have any problems. Because I believe today that we would agree if a, a father who is a landowner dies and he has no, no sons, but he has a daughter, then the daughter is heir to that land. And why shouldn't women be able to vote? I mean, God did not create women without uh, intellect. And I would even challenge uh, these men, if you think that he did, you need to get into a game of trivial pursuit with some of these ladies and see what they will do. The truth of the matter is this, though. What happened was not, not simply rights to be inst- uh, instituted, but it was this doing away with the, the separation concept of men are different than women. And so in our society today, as we continue to roll down that line, we have discussions of whether or not boot camps should be co-ed. We have discussions about where we really draw the line. And one of the most recent discussions that is going on, especially in the equality concept, is that if men at the age of 18 have to register in case there ever was a draft for the military and women are pushing the advances to serve, then if we're going to have equal rights because there's no difference in the genders, then every one of your daughters and my little Michaela will have to register at the age of 18 in case there's ever a draft. Otherwise, we have not reached equality in our society. If men and women are equal... And 18-year-old boys can be drafted to war, so can 18-year-old girls. Otherwise, we really aren't interested in equality. We're interested in picking and choosing. That's the most recent debate. Should your 18-year-old daughters and granddaughters be forced to register like your 18-year-old boys? 
You see, this subject goes beyond whether or not a, a, a boy wants to dress like a girl and a girl wants to dress like a boy. This is deeply rooted in our society of where we're at with gender equality. That's why I show you that picture. But I will tell you this, there are some problems that are coming about out of this issue. And people are starting to recognize, wait a second, maybe we've started to, to advance things that aren't exactly accurate, aren't exactly fair, because now you have people that are throwing a fit about men who are identifying as women participating in female sports. Because they say it's not fair. I mean, after all, we're going to do away with the gender differences. Why can't men who identify as women participate in female sports? In this particular case, this individual is a weightlifter, a man who is uh, identifying as a woman and was allowed to participate because he selected female on the certification to be in this particular weightlifting conference. He goes in, he breaks nine records, and all of a sudden the overseeing organization has a problem with it. And they strip this individual of, of his title. Now, here's the reality. That individual has more testosterone in his body than the other people that he competed against. Because it is illegal to dope your blood or to dope your bodies with testosterone. That's why when you start to look at this, you start to see it over and over again. Where now in our society today, this is not just a, what about the military and what about rights? Now we have even regulations in the NCAA regarding individuals who are born men but identify as women and individuals who are born as women but identify as men. And I will tell you this, in your time, did you ever really think that this would be happening in our culture? But that's where we are today. The NCAA has a rule that if a man who identifies as a woman wants to participate in female sports, that that individual has to take a a hormone that suppresses the testosterone for a year. Because according to their scientists, after a year of testosterone suppression, that that individual no longer has an edge in the competitive sports. Now, that's not being accepted across the board. However, I will tell you this. In one state that is pretty liberal on this particular subject, they're starting to have problems. Because you see, in Connecticut, they will allow boys who identify as girls to participate in girls' events, even in track and field. And that's where this particular slide comes into play, where the thing, the the headline underneath it says this, the Connecticut Interscholastic Athletic Conference which governs high school sports in the state, says its policy follows a state anti-discrimination law requiring students to be treated in school according to the gender with which they identify. You know why that's even headline news? And that is as of May of this year. It's headline news because those girls, those who were born biological females who identify as as females... They say that because the state track meet was placed number one by a man, a boy who identifies as a girl, and the second place individual was another boy who identifies with a girl. Therefore, these girls came in third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth, and down the line. What their claim is, is that because of the laws in the state of Connecticut, it is possible that these these laws cost those girls uh, college scholarships. And that it possibly costs them money in the future because of the laws that they have on the books. Now you look at that and you'd say, Joe, I mean, America, come on, Joe, you've introduced a lot to us this week. Are you going to tell me America's 
really going that direction. And I would tell you this, America's been going that direction. 2016, you know exactly what occurred in a particular department store when they decided to open up the restrooms to individuals. If you were a man but identified as a woman, then you go ahead and use the woman's restroom. And men all across the country, especially the men that I would speak with, would say, I am concerned. What if my wife is in there or what if my little girl is in there? Then the discussion came up about, well, what if a woman identifies as a man? And, and, and I don't know what that is because for whatever reason, that rarely is the side of the discussion that we ever have. Men, I guess, aren't as concerned about their sons, but I would say they should be. Then it was the issue, well, if you just don't like it, go to the family restroom. Then it was the issue, well, if you just don't like it, quit shopping there. And I will tell you this, America has gotten to a, a particular place that is quite interesting. It's quite interesting when an individual can be the Glamour Magazine Woman of the Year who was born a biological male, but through a surgeries and reassignments now identifies as a female, and yet all those other women that could have possibly been up for that award lost out to an individual who is caught up in this. This individual, you know, it's Bruce Jenner. Obviously, that's not what he goes by now, but that's what he was born as. He would say this, I never in a million years thought I would be here. For years and years, I never felt like I fit in anywhere. I always felt as an outsider. I never felt good in the male side, and I wasn't obviously in the female side. I was kind of stuck in the middle. You see, though, I want you to understand tonight that all these things that I've shown you are recent, relatively recent, within the past ten years. But I want you to know that this issue goes beyond the recent course of time in American history. What if I told you that I could point back to a World War II veteran, an individual who would return home after fighting overseas of what has been called the greatest generation. And in that generation, an individual would come out as a man, born a man, but identified as a woman. This individual is George Jurgensen. He traveled from Europe to Europe in Copenhagen, Denmark to obtain permission to have a particular surgery in 1951. Now, he would go on to complete that surgery and actually would become an entertainer known as Christine Jurgensen. Now, there are YouTube videos out there. If you want to go look up this, do your own research, you feel free to do so. But I need you to understand that this problem of which we're at is bigger than does a boy want to dress like a girl and does a girl want to dress like a boy? That's not what sexual identity is. That's why I tell you this subject really does need to, to, ha- to be preached. It needs to be taught because we've got to become educated. And here's why. Because our goal is to lead people to Jesus. And sometimes we only lead people to Jesus that we're comfortable leading to Jesus. What if you actually had the opportunity to lead someone to Jesus who was confused about their sexual identity. Would that totally just blow your mind? Or would you be the one that would be used to bring that person to Jesus Christ? You see, that's why I tell you, Jesus died for individuals still who are wrapped up in this. And we as God's people, we can either be comfortable with those we encounter... Or we can come to understand that even those who we would look at as different, that Jesus died for them too. And yet we are still called to reach them. 
You see, when I show you this picture, that might surprise you. But what I want you to understand is this, that it didn't even just happen in the American culture. I want to show you this. This is called a two-spirited individual. That's what the Native Americans would call a man who believed that he was biologically male, but in his gender identity, a female. They called them two-spirited individuals. And in 1530, the Spanish explorer Cabez de Vaca wrote in his diary of seeing what he called soft native Indian males in Florida tribes dressing and working as women. One of these individuals would go on, that one in particular, his name is Weewa. Weewa, you may look at that and say, well, what's the purpose of of even addressing this? Why would you even address a two-spirited individual? Number one, I want you to understand this is not locked to the American culture. But I also want you to understand that in this particular case, these individuals were prominent within their cultures at times. Weewa became an ambassador for the Zuni nation in Washington, D.C., What if I showed you this particular picture regarding the Samoan area, the Polynesian culture? You see, they have within their society what's called fafain. In Samoa, gender identity is largely based on a person's role within their home. And therefore, if there are numerous sons but no daughters, oftentimes a son will assume the role within that society of what a daughter would have normally assumed. Folks, this is not make-believe. This is real. That's why when I show you pictures here in America, I don't want you to think that America is the only society in the world or in history that has ever struggled with this issue. This is a picture of James Charles. James Charles is a biological male, the first biological male that ever made the cover of Cover Girl magazine. Why did James Charles make the cover of CoverGirl magazines? Because James Charles loves doing makeup and James Charles has quite a following on YouTube where he does makeup on YouTube. As a matter of fact, today it was brought to my attention that James Charles in the trending videos on YouTube, James Charles was one of the top trending videos today with a a video that had been seen 4.2 million times. It's a 30-minute video about him coming back to YouTube and about the makeup that he's going to be doing and how excited he is about such. See, CoverGirl magazine had never had a man on the front of their magazine before, a male. But you see, neither had National Geographic either up until just a few years ago when they included in the first first time in 125-year history on the cover of the National Geographic magazine a young boy whose parents were raising him according to whatever identity he wanted to have. And at this particular point in his life, he is being raised as a female. Now, you need to know something about this uh, because when you look at what's going on in our society, you and I need to understand what we are up against. That's why I start off with this. This is not a hateful lesson. This is no way, shape, or form a hateful lesson, but this is a lesson that deals with the, the, the spiritual forces of darkness, is the way I'm going to say that, where we have ideas and teachings and moralities that are being circulated that are not lining up with what God's Word says. And at the core of all of that happens to be because society has continued to move further and further away from what God's Word says and move closer and closer to how do you feel and what do you want in life. 
as God has been replaced in the most part in society, what we find is humanistic views come on the scene. And so this really is a bigger issue. That's why it's not a, a, a war with people. It's a war with ideologies. That's what this is. But we do need to understand what we're talking about. When I've used terms, I've tried to be careful with what terms I use. When I use the term biological sex, you should know that that means what were you born as. You were either born as a male, you were born as a female. There's X and Y and there are uh, different hormones that go along with that. I've even asked at one time a urologist, a friend of mine, a doctor, regarding some questions that I've had at, at open forums or when we have question and answer times, regarding individuals who may be born uh, what, are, what are known as hermaphrodites. The idea, according to that urologist, is there's still either a dominant X or there's a dominant Y. Either there's an XY or there's an XX. That's a mutation, but according to the urologist, only one part of that body works. So there's still a a slant towards testosterone or a slant towards estrogen. When we talk about gender, what we're talking about are the psychological and social and cultural aspects of being male or female. It's the idea that when you think man, what do you think? Now that goes very heavily with this one right here as well, gender roles. Because oftentimes gender and gender roles are tied together. In other words... I am a man, therefore I do this. I am a woman, therefore I do this. And the idea is your your psychological associations, your societal associations, your cultural associations all play into the function within that society. Now the one in the middle that I rolled over that I've gone back to is gender identity. Gender identity is interesting because it refers to how you feel or how you experience yourself. You look at that and say, Joe, I don't even know how there's a difference. I mean, I'm a man. I experience myself as a man. Therefore, I function as a man. And maybe a lady says, I am a biological woman. I experience myself as a biological woman. Therefore, I function in societal gender roles as a woman. You would look at that and you would say, Joe, that just makes sense to me. What I want you to understand is that makes sense to you. But individuals who are wrapped up in what's called gender dysphoria, that doesn't make sense to. That's where this sexual identity aspect comes into play. Because in our culture today, it's not just whether men dress up as women and whether or not a man is attracted to men and a woman is attracted to women. We're talking about subjects such as transgender issues where surgeries can be had and uh, and reversals can be sought after. We're talking about society that will identify as a third gender. I'm neither male nor female. I don't want to identify as either. And we'll, we'll have discussions on college campuses of can I call him a he and can I call her a she? Because you can't. That's why oftentimes they'll use pronouns such as Z. Because it's neutral. You see gender bending concepts where individuals today, today they, they want to live as a woman. Tomorrow they want to live as a man. But you know what? The next day they may want to live as the other way again. You have individuals who will cross dress. That's oftentimes what people think when they think of sexual identity issues. They think of a man who likes to wear high heels or a man who likes to wear a dress. But that's not the totality of sexual identity. It is much more broad than that. 
And it goes to much deeper levels than that. Gender fluid is the same concept where they can go in and out. Uh, But in all of those, those are just a small number of where we're at with our sexual identity crisis. So as you and I look at this, though, I introduced a word to you a moment ago that's called gender dysphoria. And it actually is something that counselors and psychologists who who work with individuals who who are wrapped up in figuring out their sexual identity. And if there's confusion about that, that's the term that they will use. But here's what gender dysphoria looks like. For the average person, it's kind of what I described earlier. You were born a man. I say the average person. I need to be... I'm saying that for the majority, okay? They were born a biological male... They experience themselves as a biological male. Therefore, they function with a sexual identity as a biological male. Gender dysphoria, though, says this. I was born a biological male, but I experienced myself as a female. Therefore, I express myself, my sexual identity, in a way that is not in accordance with my biological birth sex. Now you look at that and say, how can anybody get there? Well, I want you to know that's the great debate. That is a great debate. And I will say this, this whole concept of nature versus nurture, were they born that way or were they made that way? And I will tell you this, I don't believe God makes mistakes. That's where I start as my premise The Bible would say in the very beginning of the book of Genesis that He created them male and female. He created them. God made two genders. That's what God made. He made male and He made female. Now, the idea of third genders then would have to be an invention of mankind. The idea that maybe somebody was caught in the middle, maybe there's a mix-up... That's not according to the Bible. Now, I can tell you this. Genetic mutations occur, but genetic mutations do not change whether or not someone has dominant testosterone or whether or not someone has dominant estrogen. But oftentimes what we see is the discussion of nature versus nurture. And I want to introduce you to somebody that this study actually plays out on. And you can read the book, As Nature Made Him, the boy who was raised as a girl. His name was Bruce. Brenda David Reamer. True story. You see, when Bruce was born, he was born as a twin. His brother's name was Brian. But at the age of seven months, there was a surgery that was had on Bruce that really mutilated uh, a part of his body. And in that whole mutilation and the reconstructive surgeries that would have occurred, there was a discussion of what to do now. Well, it was decided at that particular time that that Bruce would be raised as a female instead of a male. Now, that plays out in this particular story that there was a doctor that came in and influenced them, Dr. John Money, and he came in and he told the parents basically this, look, you can either try to make him understand what happened to him, or you can take this route and raise him this way, and he will he will not know any difference. He raise him as a girl, he'll grow up thinking he's a girl, he'll be a girl. Right? And so that's what the parents decided to do. And so at the age of 22 months, Bruce was being raised as a biological female. His name was changed to Brenda. There were some gender reassignment surgeries 
That happened at the age of 22 months. He was given dolls to play with. He was forced to grow his hair long, or at least that's the way his parents made him grow his hair out. He would spend more times with his mom. He would spend more times with little girls playing and doing what girls might do. But you see, there was a problem along the way as as Bruce, now Brenda, would continue to grow. He would always come to some uneasiness about the way that he was being raised. He always felt something was wrong. I mean, after all, they always referred to him as Brenda. The idea was they would refer to him as she or her. The the room was a, a girl's room. The toys were girls' toys. The social setting were girls' uh, settings. And so there was just something that wasn't working, though. It made an uneasiness. And so according to this particular book, at the age of 12, Bruce, now Brenda, began taking female hormones. He didn't want to have the final surgery to complete everything. So taking the hormones was a way to appease those who were really pushing. You see, Dr. Money was still influential on his parents. However, this uneasiness would eventually lead Brenda, now her name is Brenda, his name is Brenda, to needing to seek counseling. And so according to the study, at 14 years of age, they brought him to a counselor. And this particular counselor would bring out before him that, you know what, maybe you need to live according to what you feel. Well, at the age of 14, guess what its parents finally told him? Finally told him at the age of 14 that you were born a boy. Can you imagine for one minute, at the age of 14, you just find out that your parents did that to you? Can you imagine at the age of 14 finding out that there had been reassignment surgeries? You knew you were already taking hormones. You just didn't know totally what was going on. But you always had a a suspicion that things weren't right. But with the hormones and with the surgeries, there had been bodily changes. And now at the age of 14, your parents finally tell you what they did. Needless to say, at that time, he changed his name to David. That's how you go from Bruce to Brenda, to David. He had more surgeries that would undo the surgeries that he had had and surgeries that may have to deal with the hormones. And he started taking testosterone so that he could get back to being a man of which he was born biologically. His biography would go on to say that he actually got married in 1990. He he met a young lady and she had been a great support to him. Of course, he had had severe depression But he was finding happiness with his now wife who understood what his background was. We see that's not the happy ending for David Reamer. This particular biography will say this. On May the 5th, 2004, he took his own life. He took his own life after finding out about the death of his brother Brian in 2002. Struggling with that, being taken for $65,000. Finally, everything that he had been struggling with in his life came to a climax. And he said... I am done. Now, the reason I introduce this to you is because when you start talking about nature versus nurture, you come to find out that they were trying to to nurture him into being a girl. And yet there was still uneasiness about that. You see, when you look at this study, this study points out very, very specifically that this biological thing of which we're born with, that it's a fight against that if you want to change. 
And yet there are individuals who will try to, to, to nurture one away from their biological sex, but it's not because that child is, is mentally developed enough to say, hey, I feel like a girl or I feel like a boy. You know what's interesting about the adolescent brain? I, I, I say this, and there may be some individuals in here, and no doubt, who know more about this than I do. The adolescent brain is not sexually developed until the early 20s, is my understanding. Now, that doesn't mean they're not capable of activity. But what that does mean is this. If an 11-year-old comes up, 11-year-old boy comes up and says, I am a woman, I function as a woman, I feel like a woman, then logic would tell me the adolescent brain hasn't developed that point yet where that individual would start contemplating those issues if those issues had not been planted and encouraged within that mind. You see, we have activists in our society. We have activist parents. We do have some activist teachers. I could give you slide after slide about what some teachers are trying to advocate, not necessarily in this school system, but in some school systems. I can tell you there are activist doctors you see, Dr. Money wasn't about what was best for Bruce. Dr. Money was, was tr- having a trial. He wanted to see what would happen if a boy had a surgery and they raised him as a girl. See, he would make money on his trials in this area. Bruce was a pawn to Dr. Money. And what's sad is that the depression that came out of that, the confusion that came out of that, the unhappiness in marriage that came out of that, is all a reflection of what was done in his life. You see, there are psychological journals and, and books that have been written on this particular subject, at least that they touch on this subject. This one in particular, Case Studies in Abnormal Behavior, on page 151, says this, Research indicates that extreme closeness to the mother, atypical psychosexual development of the parents, and father's absence have all been found to contribute to the development of gender identity disorder. In other words, if I am a boy, but I'm closer to my mother, I might do more women-type things, more female-type things. Be drawn to that. It's not wrong with that. If somebody loves to vacuum, if, and I say that, as you understand, we paint with broad brushes when we start talking with this issue, right? But the idea is if there's a softness to him. That doesn't mean that he should be a girl. That's one of the biggest lies of our culture today is in this idea that men have to be like John Wayne. And if you're not like John Wayne, then you're not a man. And you know what happened is? Then the boy who is, is, is more like uh, Isaac, who likes to stay inside, you remember, right? Jacob and uh, it was Jacob and Esau. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Esau was the guy who went out. Jacob was the one as the guy who stayed in. Our society would say this today because Jacob liked to stay in. He loved what was inside. He would be maybe questioning his gender identity. That's the way our society would say that today. And yet what this says is that's that's a, a, an indicator of what can nurture this this confusion. A father's absence also nurtures this confusion. And man, that's something that we need to, to know about in our society today. You think about the breakdown of the American family. You think about the absence of many fathers from many homes. You think about dads who are in the home, but they are absent when it comes to interacting with their children. And you need to understand, these are all, all markers that play into some of these subjects. 
That's why it's important, dads, that you and I are the men that God's called us to be. But that doesn't mean we're John Wayne. That means that we're followers of Jesus. And we line up the way that He would have us to line up behind Him. This particular book would go on to say in page 151, male to female transsexuals report that their fathers were less emotionally warm, more rejecting, and more over-controlling. It'll go on to say this, female to male transsexuals also report that their mothers were more overprotective and their fathers were more rejecting and less emotionally warm. You know what all of that tells me? And those folks aren't coming at it from a biblical perspective. What that tells me is that the reality is you're either born with more estrogen or more testosterone. There's either two X chromosomes or there's an XY chromosome. But what makes the difference in our society today is when we tout messages that go against the Word of God in the idea that if you're a a more uh, aggressive lady... Maybe you have higher levels of testosterone. You see, I don't have time. The truth of the matter is this. Everybody in this room has levels of estrogen and testosterone. Men, you have estrogen. Women, you have testosterone. But you see, the reason men are men is because they have higher levels of testosterone. The reason women are women is because they have higher levels of estrogen. But that's not saying that all of us don't have variation in those levels. You see, I may have more estrogen in my body than another man in this room. But my dominance is testosterone and it is shown that way. Some women may have higher levels of testosterone. I don't even know if I can go there without getting stoned maybe on the way out, but maybe I can. You ever met a man that maybe had a higher pitched voice? Maybe he wasn't the John Wayne type, but there were some things that maybe he was not going to be the gruff, burly man that might be a reflection of estrogen levels. Have you ever met a lady? Can I say this? Hold on just a second. Have you ever met a lady that had more hair on her upper lip than others? Can I say that? That might be levels of testosterone. Okay? That, that needs to be said. Because our society and those who are advocating unbiblical concepts... They're not telling you those things. They're just saying this. Um, if you're, if you're softer or if you're a more, more, uh, kind of masculine lady, maybe you are, you know, not identifying with what you really are. And that's the way they do it. That's why the whole LGBTQTZYX community. And I say that because I can't ever get it right. But one of those, the Q aspect is questioning. And their whole basis, I speak out in California occasion, I look forward to doing it more, and of course the things that they will encounter and they deal with, the, the brothers and sisters in Christ there are dealing with a lot that maybe you're not dealing with here as prevalent. But one of the things that they'll deal with is that Q concept, and that Q concept is this, that teaching that everybody either is or they are questioning whether or not they are homosexual or they're transgender or maybe they're struggling in their gender identity. Because either you are one of those or you're questioning whether you're one of those. That's the society of which we live in. And folks, i got to tell you, if you're on social media in any way, shape, or form, or if you watch any form of media the month of June, you've seen more rainbows than you'll ever see in the rest of the year. 
That's because of what this particular month is all about. When it was designated such by one of our previous leaders. You see, our society is starting to accept and embrace, and that's going to lead to more confusion. And so the question tonight is this. We need to understand the truth. And the truth of the matter is that individuals are wrapped up in this gender dysphoria and they are struggling with sexual identity. You need to hear me say once again, they are still people whom Jesus died on the cross for. Do you know that an individual who's struggling with that today can still come to the Lord and obey the gospel once they repent of maybe the actions that they've gotten wrapped up in? You say, repent. Joe, you just said some of this is mental, some of it's been nurtured. And I would offer this to you. You're right. Sometimes there's going to be a lot of counseling that has to go into play and a lot of help that has to go into play with some of this. But I need you to hear me say that Jesus still died for them. Jesus still died for them. Just like he died for me. And here's what I know. God loves the individual who's wrapped up in gender dysphoria just like he loves you. And he's not willing that any should perish. That means them too. The reason I show you this is because they do ask the same questions that you and I ask. They want to know the same things. It's just that in their search... This is the direction that their search has taken them in. It doesn't make it right, but you need to understand they are people who have souls and who are struggling. Within that, though, I don't want you to ever lose sight of the truth of God's Word. You see, because for you and I, if we're going to learn to discern, then we must learn to discern according to the Scriptures. I mentioned to you earlier the idea, the reality that God only made two genders. Kids, teenagers, college students, you need to hear that. This whole idea that there's another gender that's out there that's floating is not a God principle. Either either we believe the text that God made them male and female or we believe that God messed up. And I do not believe that we serve an imperfect God. He knew exactly what was needed when he looked down upon Adam in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18 and said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable to him, like unto him is what that means. And so he fashioned out of a rib, he fashioned that rib into a woman. God made two genders. That's all. So the idea of there being something else is unfounded in Scripture. But I also want you to know this, that when it comes to the way that those two genders function, that God has a plan for the way those two genders function as well. And they are to complement one another, not be in conflict with one another. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 2, the Bible says, Now concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. But because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife and each woman is to have her own husband. Now, that first part doesn't make any sense if you don't leave it in context. The Apostle Paul to the church of Corinth is describing trials and difficulties of great measure that they're up against. That's why his instruction in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, which is oftentimes twisted and distorted, it leaves out chapter 7 verse 26 where the Bible says, I think then that in, it is good in view of the present distress that it is good for a man to remain as he is. 
In other words, there's a distress upon the church of Corinth. That's what chapter 7 verse 1 is about. But it's chapter 7 verse 2 that I want you to understand how God's plan was for the interaction of those two genders. It really was the idea there was a difference. And that difference isn't bad. Sometimes we look at this and say, oh, our society is trying to get rid of the gender differences. I would offer this to you. The gender differences are divine. They are divinely made. God is the one who made them. And they are divinely instructed throughout the course of the Bible. You know, what's interesting is that when Adam and Eve sinned, they both received punishment, but the punishments weren't both the same. Oh, sure, they were both kicked out of the garden, but their punishments weren't the same. Eve's punishment was founded in childbearing and in the way of her relationship to her husband. Adam's punishment was founded in the sweat of his brow and the difficulty of working the land to provide for his family. Isn't it interesting? Why didn't he tell Adam, look, you're going to have increased pain in childbearing and your wife is going to rule over you? Why didn't he tell that to Adam? Why didn't he look at Eve and say, hey, you're going to have an increased sweat of your, your brow and the thorns of the land? Why didn't he switch those? You know why? Because he divinely made us differently. Women and men are different. And that's not bad. Women have within their bodies the ability to grow children. Men don't. It doesn't matter how many surgeries you have. Biological males are not born with that equipment. God made us different. I even joke and say God made us different socially. Absolutely He did. Ladies, at times, maybe you might find yourself at a restaurant and you're with a group of ladies or maybe you're out and about and somebody says, hey, you want to go, you know, I got to go to the powder room, which they don't call it the powder room. I'm trying to clean it up because I'm preaching, right? Go to the powder room. Y'all want to go with me? I have yet to hear a group of men sitting at a table. Hey, I got to go to the powder room. You boys want to join me? Mm-mm. No, sir. You know why we don't? Because we're socially different. We're socially different. God made us different. If I could, if I could talk to society today, I would say this. There is nothing wrong with a woman being a woman. And there is nothing wrong with a man being a man. God made us different. That's not to be looked down upon. Both are celebrated in the eyes of God. And both are compliments to each other. What I want you to understand, though, is this. This whole subject goes back to something I've mentioned multiple times this week. And that is this. If you think for one minute that people who are wrapped up in sexual identity crisis, that they are without reach, you need to understand who you are without the blood of Jesus. But I also want you to understand this. Forgiveness can be had when repentance is rendered. That's what I know. And an individual who may be struggling in this area, you've got to stop thinking, man, it's just that they want to make a cultural statement. Sometimes they do. Do you know society will tell you that in our culture today, for a young person to to claim to be bisexual, that it's actually becoming popular? And so some young people will claim that, not because they really are drawn that way, but because they feel like it will bring their status of popularity up. And it says something in the society about that person, of their open-minded, their free-thinking. Oh, they are wise, is what our society hears. 
truth is, that's not what the Bible says. But I want you to know the power of the blood of Jesus is powerful enough to reach an individual who may at one time have lived a certain way, but now they're ready to walk according to the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11 through 11 says this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then this is such a powerful statement. Such were some of you. You know who the people in the church at Corinth were at one time? They were fornicators. That meant that they had unrestrained sexual uh, escapades. Do you know at one point in time, some of the members of the church in Corinth were homosexuals? Do you know at one point in time, some of the members of the church at Corinth were adulterers, some of them were idolaters, some of them were thieves, some of them were covetous. And you look at that and go, well, they were just a lousy bunch of people. No, that's who they used to be. You see, because the blood of Jesus really is that strong to take an individual who was wrapped up in homosexuality and wash them, sanctify them, and justify them. That's what I need you to hear tonight. That as you and I learn to discern the subject of sexual identity, it's not just about us understanding what's going on in society. That's a part of it. But it's understanding that sometimes the the reason that the sexual identity confusion is there is not because they're just trying to make a statement. Maybe there's something that has happened in their past or in their present that they're struggling through. Now here's what I say. That just screams all the more why they need Jesus in their life. He is the one that's going to straighten out the issues. He is the one where they're going to find they're going to find peace. He is the great physician. But sometimes we as God's people we're afraid because they're different. We won't know what to do. I'll, I'll, I'll throw this your way and you, you contemplate this. Nobody has to say anything. What if tonight, what if Sunday, you had a guest in this congregation who fit into the parameters of this lesson? Would you invite them to sit with you on your pew? Would you talk to them uh, at all about anything in society or much less tell them that you were glad that they came today? You see, the answer that's going on in your head is why this lesson needs to be taught. It's because they're hungering for answers. And we as children of God, we have the answers not in of ourselves, But we have the answer in the will of God. It was good enough for you and I. It's good enough for them. The only question is, will we allow the externals to prevent us from reaching out? I get it, folks. I know what you're saying. What about our children? What about the influence? What if they were just here to cause problems? You know what I found out? 
we let the what-ifs prevent us from doing a lot of the will of God. And we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't do that. Tonight, this lesson is, is heavy. I get it. It's heavy. Some of you are going to walk away and say, I didn't understand half of what he said. And others are going to walk away and say this, I, I need to at least keep my eyes open for people who are hurting so that I can introduce them to Jesus. Maybe that's where this lesson hits you tonight. Maybe that, that's the invitation for you. It may not be coming down front. It may be, I'm just going to keep my eyes open to the hurt in people's lives. And I know that they're looking and I want to introduce them to Jesus. And I'm going to do better at that. Maybe that's where you're at tonight. Maybe you're the one, though, that's, that's been here. And while this particular subject may not be your struggle... Maybe there has been a sin in your life and you're saying, if God only knew, he, would, he wouldn't like me. If people only knew, they wouldn't accept me. And I'm here to tell you today that the blood of Jesus is strong enough to deal with whatever you're holding on to. Whatever hurt you're holding on to, whatever sin you're holding on to, whatever embarrassment you're holding on to, whatever shame, the blood of Jesus is strong enough to deal with what you have going on. The only question tonight is this, will you trust Him with that? Here's what's interesting. God already knows. He's just waiting on you to own what you've, what you've trying to hide from Him. And by that I mean this. When we talk about confession, do you really think God doesn't know until you confess? Do you really think God doesn't know until you pray? The Bible says He knows what you need before you pray. And if He's all-knowing, then He knows what you need to confess before you confess. So my question is, why would He have us pray? And why would He have us confess? It's not for His benefit. It's for ours. Because there's something about getting rid of a facade and just saying, this is who I am and I'm ready for forgiveness. And I know that God can offer that. Tonight, maybe that's your invitation. You're ready to come back. Maybe you've never obeyed the gospel. And maybe you're visiting here tonight and you say, what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news, ultimately the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That he was, he was buried, that he went to the cross, he bore the sins of the world, he was buried, and on the third day he was resurrected from the tomb, overcoming death. And the good news is this, that in that he is the perfect sacrifice according to the book of Hebrews. Sacrifice for what? For your biggest problem, and my biggest problem, and that's our sin. Because sin separates us from God. You cannot go to heaven if you're still separated from God. And so what did God do? He did the only thing that could be done to deal with your sin. He gave His Son. But you see, the message of that gospel also is to be obeyed, is what the New Testament teaches us. It's not my teaching, that's what the Bible teaches. And in the Bible, when people would cry out, what shall we do to be saved? The answer was rendered, repent and each of you be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. You see, Jesus is waiting on you to confess Him before men. So he'll confess you before his Father. He's waiting on us to repent so we won't perish. And he's waiting on us to join him in a uniting in the death, burial, and resurrection in the water grave of baptism. And the purpose now, the purpose is not for you to join a church. 
God adds you to the church. I, I had somebody come up to me once and ask, hey, I really like the church there. Can, can, how do I join? I want to join the church. And, and I said, you can't. Well, that about knocked them back. What do you mean you can't join? No, you can't join the church. You have to be added to the church. And in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says that God was continually adding to their number those who were being saved. God adds those who are saved. How were they saved? They were baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. That's Acts chapter 2. And that's gospel.